This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a five-time All-Star. Four times he won the Gold Glove. He's the host of his own podcast. Uh, as well. It's the Adam Jones podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Adam Jones. Adam, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, for you, man, you already know I'll do anything for you. Just like you told me as an 18-year-old kid, you said, kid, just give me the damn ball. I don't care where it's at, just give that's me right. the damn ball. And that's what we was turning double plays. And I remember throwing one way behind you, and you just turned it. And I'm, as soon as I released it, I'm like, oh, my damn but I've watched you flip it and turn it, and you run off the field just like, that's what I'm, that, that a baby. And I'm like, <sighs> that's right. I do remember that because something, <laughs> you know, that's something that comes up at him all the time with, uh, it's a little bit different now with the rule change and guys can't take you out. So it's not as imperative, but you're right. Back then, any new guy I worked with in the middle, I'd always say, they said, it, you know, because in spring training, for example, you were a shortstop for a long time before mm-hmm. you, you moved to center field and you're always working with a partner and you have preferences. Hey, where do you like the ball? This side or that ball? You're right. I always used to say, I said, I don't care where you throw it. <laughs> just hit me, just get it in my vicinity. And then I can work with it. Cause the earlier I get it, now I have time. If you get it to me late and you miss your spot, now I'm in trouble. Now that guy's on top of me barreling down. That's cool that you remember that. Cause I, I, I always used to say that I, I forgot. I haven't heard that for a long time, but it's the truth. Get me the damn ball. One of my best memories. I mean, it's and that was how playing the game is, you know, get the ball in is when I went to center field, get the ball into the middle infielders as quick as possible. Just get the ball in as quick as possible. And uh, that was a it was a very important lesson for just how I played the game. It's just how I play defense. My career, I was kind of known as a as a Mariner. Obviously, you're known as an Oriole. Um, You're a Padre to me, though. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you're a Padre. You're a Padre year. to me. Um, you're a Padre to me. I don't care. You, Kevin Brown. Y'all Padres to me. How close are you paying attention to this team this year? They won 101 games. Uh, they just announced Brandon Hyde, manager of the year. Beat out Bruce Bochy, who pretty mm-hmm. pretty unprecedented comeback. Gunnar Henderson just won the rookie of the year. Um, and, and the Orioles have gone a long time. You know, they're two years removed for 110 uh, lost season. They're on the map. It looks like 
from what I see from this team, especially the back half of the bullpen, I know Bautista went down late. Uh, looks like a, a team that's going to be good for years to come. I mean, I've watched them since the day I left. Obviously, uh, I played for Arizona. They went to Japan, but I still paid attention to what was going on in Birdland because that is my home, my second home. That is my identity as a professional athlete. And uh, I always root for them. And I told them when I went back there this year, I've been rooting for you guys the second I left here, no matter what. And uh, it's good to see them have success. It's good for the fan base also because it is a deep, enriched baseball fan base. I know that football gets the garnership because they've won championships in the last uh, decades recently. So obviously, you know, with their track record and their success, they get the attention. But what Brandon Hyde has done, what Mike Elias has done, uh, what D'Angelo's family has done with, by putting them in the position to succeed has been great. Obviously, you got – Gunnar Henderson winning Rookie of the Year. Adley Rushman, one of the best catchers in the game. Uh, Austin Hayes, a finalist in um, the Gold Glove, an all-star. They're, they're starting to garner more awards, and I think that when you start to garner more awards as a team, that means – individually, I should say, but for the team, I think that that means that people are noticing your team is good. When I first got to Baltimore, we had one all-star, maybe a Gold Glover here and there but one all-star. Then we became good in 2012 and we get three all-stars and then six all-stars. So when you have, I think that the team success helps out when it comes to the individuality, because, you know, when you got 101 wins, people are going to pay attention and they're going to start to see who, how did this team do this? And you're going to put more people on the map. And to that next year, 2024, guys are going to be aiming for them. So I just want them to be prepared. And I think that they understand that the bullseye is going to be on them. I think it's cool the parody that that we're bringing into the game during my time uh, in that American League in that American League East. It was always every year. It seemed like it was the Yankees and the Red Sox. I thought that rivalry was good for baseball, but it's nice to see that's broken up. Tampa Bay kind of in the late two thousands kind of broke through and became a force. Recently, that seems like they go to the playoffs every year. They haven't found a way to win that World Series, and I don't say that lightly because you know you played for a long time. Winning a World Series, people win World Series. Like, oh, yeah, he won a World Series. Man, that's a big deal. And it's really hard to do. Uh, and e each and every year when they when the winner is crowned, I, I sit there and I watch and I go, I just hope these guys appreciate how hard it is, man, because I played a long time. I got there. I uh, never got to win one, but it's it's a special, special thing. The tide is changing now, and, and it's not just – it's not the Yankees and the Red Sox every year. By by uh, by the Orioles breaking through this year, it's the Orioles. Toronto Blue Jays got a they got a young, uh, almost a lot of people would say underachieving team at this point. More people expected more out of that Toronto team. The Rays are still a factor every year. It's a wide open division with the Orioles kind of doing what they did this year, saying, "Hey, we're here," and and I think probably the best division in all of baseball right now. Um, It'll be interesting what happens in the in the coming years. Does does this make the Yankees go out and spend a bunch of money and, and get some players? That's what the Orioles winning does to other teams. You know, what do the Red Sox do this offseason? It'll be interesting. Your take. And exactly what was, I was going to say is by the Orioles winning, all the other uh, franchises, especially the big two juggernauts, the Yankees and the Red Sox, are like, Hold on. They had a $60, $70 million payroll, and they're just steamrolling, beating the crap out of us all in the last couple of years. What are we doing wrong? Um, obviously, you see Boston had a change with, uh, with the general manager. 
a uh, new general manager coming in and you know you know boston they're not they're not going to take a couple losing years lightly they are a winning franchise a winning city so you know they're going to be back in, on the prowl in 2024 the yankees the same way there's no such thing as rebuild in new york so they're going to be back and I, I think that's exciting i think what the orioles did in, in 2023 is it made everybody be like oh these youngsters first off development i mean i think the orioles have developed their prospects the best in the division and right next to Tampa. Tampa's done a terrific job developing their guys. You see every person that comes up is ready to play in the big leagues. Uh, they never skip a beat, no matter who goes down. Glass now goes down, so they're still 95 wins. Uh, another starter goes down, that doesn't matter. Franco suspended, that doesn't matter. They still maintain. So they have a great formula. Like I said, uh, Toronto, to me, I think is the most talented team in all of baseball. The on paper, per position, I would say they're putting pound for pound the most talented team and yeah i think they underachieved because i think a lot of people had them as a playoff team um and you know I, they got to the first no i don't think they made they didn't make the playoffs this year and you know I, for them i would i would even say well, if you ask them they would say it's underachieving because of the talent that they have and how good they are i mean galsman in finishing in the top of uh cy young finalists like there's so much talent in the american league east and i think 2024 it's going to get back to where it's five competitive teams rather than two to three, like it was uh, this year. And it can be two now. I mean, on a given year, and it's probably unlikely with the new format where it's everybody plays everybody and it's not division mm-hmm. heavy like it used to be. Mathematically, four teams can come out of there and go to the playoffs because there's so many spots now. There's yeah. 12 spots. So mathematically, that can happen. I, I don't know. That's going to be a tough division uh, for years to come. Talk about playing in Baltimore. You played there, I believe, eleven seasons. Uh, yes, I remember when Camden years. Yards. I remember when Camden Yard was relatively new. Kind of, you know. I remember when I knew Camden Yards when Griffey had the the home run derby at Camden Yards, and he hit the building. That kind of put it on the put it on the map uh, nationwide. For years and years, I'd go to Baltimore, and this is before you even started playing. And everybody loved going to Baltimore. Oh, going to Camden Yards. It was the new state-of-the-art stadium. Uh, Baltimore in the early 2000s, for me, they weren't very good. And hitters couldn't wait to get there. And I couldn't stand it. I'd get there, Adam. You know, you ever have a yard that's nice, it's beautiful, you can't get a hit? That's me at Camden Yard. It was just one of those (laughs) things like, man, I hope the crab's good this trip because I don't know how many hits I'm going to get, but I know the crab's going to be good. Uh, my first couple of years, Go ahead. my first 08, 08 and 09 when I got traded over there, I mean, hitters were running to the bat, to the to the batter's box against us. I mean, it was a track meet. And we were a rebuilding team. Uh, so we had a lot of young prospects mixed with some veterans with uh, with with Millar, Ramon Hernandez, B-Rob. So we had, we had some mixtures of, of some guys. I played with Jay Payton, taught me a lot. Um, but – me for me it was an opportunity to go out there and play every single day uh in seattle i knew the situation um you know once felix became the man they, they and then each row moved to center field these guys like they wanted to they wanted to win and you know when you want to win prospects are expendable i was told early on by mark mclemore hey i know you got drafted by the mariners you're playing for 29 other teams when you're in the minor leagues so go out there every day and play hard because somebody is watching so when I got over to Baltimore, I was like, you know what? I got an opportunity to play every single day. The manager said, it's your job to lose. And, hey, 
you know, you know me. If you give me something, you give me a task, I'm going to I'm going to fulfill it. And, you know, for 10 and a half years, I went out there every day as an everyday center fielder until Mullins came and, you know, the natural progression, he, he manned center field and he's taking over center field now. But I appreciated every inning I ever got to play in Baltimore. Um, the fans, they they were they were they were I would say they were with me, especially if I was really willing, willing and ready to play hard. Um, I think fans these days, they're tired of excuses, um, especially with social media now. You can make – there's so many ways you can make an excuse. Baltimore, they don't care about that. That's a blue-collar city. They just asked me to play hard. And all I did, that's all I tried to do. The accolades, I see you got your gold gloves, your silver sluggers, the all-stars. Like The accolades came from my teammates putting me in the best position. Um, you know, unfortunately, my pitchers gave up some, some, uh, some line drives, high-velocity balls. And I was able to go run them down. Uh, they, that's helped me win some gold gloves. But my teammates put me in the best positions. And by me being healthy every day, going out there every single day, playing hard, playing hurt, playing injured, you know, we all we all go out and play our own way and, uh, you know, battle our own injuries. But the fans just appreciate the way I played. The community appreciated the way I uh, presented myself. And it was a blast. So, um, you know, hopefully in the future, I'm able to get back in, in the city and work in the organization, work in the city, because I think that uh, the legacy that I have there, it can be continued because I did so much in the community. And now that, you know, sorry that Brooks Robinson has passed, Boo Powell is a little older, Cal Ripken is older, has a lot of things on his plate. I think it's the perfect time for me to implement myself in that city, in that organization, and just take over because, there's so much that I left unfinished because I left at 33. I think now that I come, if I was able to come back, there's so much I can do in that community, in that city, uh, not just on the baseball field. They, they have that. But in that community, in the city, I think I can do really, really big things in Baltimore in the future. The thing that resonates me that what you said is the ability to play every day and, and be on the field. I, I had Eric Karos, the ex-Dodger, on. And something that really resonates with me that he said was he said, Booney, there should be a, a sixth. Uh, when, when you're scouting somebody, you, there's five categories. There's arm strength. There's, uh, you know, hitting. You're, you're a four now and you, you could be a six. He said there should be a sixth uh, category. And that's for the ability to post. I look at your career and you came up in 06, minimal mm -hmm. playing time, 06, 07, 08, when you took the reins and you were the guy. I don't see a year that the least amount of plate appearances you had in your entire career was over 500. You don't see that much. You don't see that even in my generation. You did on occasion, but you definitely don't see it in today's generation of guys. The ability to post, I think it's so important. Uh, and, and yeah, some guys are more vulnerable to being hurt. Uh, some guys just genetically aren't built to to stay healthy. They pull hamstrings, uh, and some guys are blessed. But there's also a part of taking care of yourself and, and the way you play the game, allowing yourself to be out there and 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 to be accountable to your teammates. I always felt that too as a player. I felt like my guys depend on me when I when I go to the ballpark. They depend on me being in the lineup. And, and the fact that what I looked at your your resume and your at-bats per year, you were about as healthy and, and, and posted about as well as anybody in your generation. Yeah. Um, you know, I got over to Baltimore. I mean, it all started with, I mean, my first trainer I had in pro ball, Rick Griffin. Um, he, hey, hey, kid, he, he told me about my body, about my biometrics. 
He's the first person to tell me about my hip. He was like, you got FAI, femoral acetabular impingement. These are workouts that you can do to make it strong, to stay on the field. A lot of people have had this, and you know, some people have not played out their careers because of this. And he told me early, this is how you handle it. Then I get traded over to Baltimore. I got Richie Bansales. Richie Bansales is second senior, or third senior at the time, to Rick Griffin and the guy in Chicago at the time and for the White Sox. And I get over there, and I'm like, well, damn, he had Cal Ripken. Let me ask for let me ask him for a day off. Let me go into his office and say, hey, hey, Richie, I got a sore knee. I, I you know my back is tweaked. I need a day off. I I never went in there with a day off. And to this day, me and him talk about that. He said, you never came in there and ever asked me or tried to convince me that you couldn't play. You always try to convince me that you could play, even though I knew that you shouldn't play. You convinced me that you could play, and that was always my mentality: is I need to be on that field. But also, I knew how to. I learned how to take care of my body. I learned how. Uh, on road trips, not to take batting practice every day, um, not to shag every single day. I learned how to, especially once the summer starts, and Baltimore summers is warm, um, learn how to minimize my on-field activity and give all my, my energy to the game. And I learned how to do that. Wayne Kirby was very instrumental in helping me uh, learn how to conserve my energy because I'd go out there, and, yeah, I'm 22, 23, I can just go shag all day, not realizing that, you know, come 7, 8 o'clock, I'm just gassed, not thinking that. And, you know, just it was a small things that helped me preserve myself. And, you know, obviously I, I would give myself, you know, it goes to my parents, too. The guy they gave me some good bones and drank milk as a kid. And, you know, it, it, it's that six tool, like you said, is knock on wood. And I've never really been hurt in my life. So um, it's just or injured, I should say. So it's just a six tool of awareness, body awareness, biometrics. And, you know, at the same time, I always played with my hair on fire. I never played scared, like, oh, if I, if, like, you see me run into walls. I never was like, oh, I got to, let me brace for this wall. I'm like, I'm about to catch this ball. This wall is about to get this body. So I just think it was a culmination of everything. And then having the right, you know, the, the, just the right people around me, right people pushing me, and uh, the right trainers. How, how easy was your uh, switch from shortstop to center fielders? Now, I, I played second my entire career. I was a shortstop through college. And to this day, I always say, you know, when people ask, I said, I, I can tell you this, always the most talented guy in the field is a shortstop, especially at the big league level. If you can play short in the big leagues, you can play anywhere. Uh, not true for other, for other positions. If you can play first base, that doesn't mean you can run out and play center field. But most shortstops, if I give them a glove, and you know this, they can go play anywhere. How was mm -hmm. the, the transition for you to center field? When you were told you were going to be a center fielder, did you, did you embrace it? Were you a little resilient to it? Tell me tell me how that went down. So it's I remember this day, like yesterday, it was August 3rd in uh, 05, and I'm in San Antonio, double A, and everybody just got called up. Unesky uh, Betton got court, just got called up to the big leagues. Mike Morris got called up to the big leagues, um, and I get called up to double A, and Three days after Betancourt is there, it's an organizational email. Everybody switching from shortstop to outfield or some other position except for uh, as Jubal Cabrera. So me, uh, Tui Asasopo, <laughs> Mike Morris, we're gone. We're the big shortstop, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, shortstops. You guys are going to different positions. And I had Gary Thurman at the time, and he, was, he explained it to me. He's like, hey, I know you want to play shortstop. That's your position. But he said, hey. It don't matter as long as you're in the big leagues. That's that's the ultimate goal, right? And I'm like, hell yeah! I was like, all right, hey, it is what it is. Only thing that sucked about it was I was in San Antonio and I had to go out at three o'clock in 
ball soup and go shag yeah. uh, and then go back and take ground balls and then play the game. So that, that month of adjusting was really exhausting. I got to play um, two games out there. I got one ball in two games. And then I went to the fall league and I get to the fall league and um, um, Frank Maddox, RIP to Frank Maddox. He tells me, he's like, yeah, you're not going to play shortstop no more, son. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you're not. I'm like, okay, all right, I get it. But he's like, but he's like, you got, I got you a coach with this, with your fall league team that you're going to love. Gary Pettis taught me how to play some field on on a daily basis. We went out there every day. He's like, kid, I'm, they, they, I, I was, I was assigned with a task to teach you how to play center field, and I will not fail you. And to this day, I, when I was every time, I, every time I see Pettis, man, this is the dude who helped me play center field. Obviously, there's guys along the road, uh, Gary Thurman on the way, Gary Pettis, T-Bone Shelby, um, Wayne Kirby. These are guys that helped me uh, be a confident center fielder, be an aggressive center fielder, and you know. I, I think when Bill Bavese, I think it, the underlying thing is I told him this a couple of years ago on, a, on, a, on another interview. I told Bill Bavese, I said, you know what? I appreciate what you did. I know it probably wasn't easy. And because, you know, it's you're telling your first rounder, we got to move you to another position and all this other guys. OK, you're the sixth rounder, 18th rounder. Do whatever you need to do. And I just told him, thank you, because like Wayne Kirby always said, if I was playing shortstop, I'd be playing in Mexico and for the Tomateros, and I would have never made it to the major league and had a career down ahead. So, you know, Bill Bavese gets a lot of credit for making a hard decision, and a lot of GMs have to make these decisions. A lot of guys that you see in the major leagues now didn't start at that position, and I'm sure it was a hard conversation that uh, a lot of them have had to have. And, and I embraced it. I said, hey, I can get to the big leagues quicker. Put me where I need to be. And winning gold gloves there. He hit 20 homers seven times, 30 homers, two or th- I think three times. Uh, awesome career. Um, I want to switch a little bit and talk about a lot of manager roulette going on right now. Um, the, obviously, the big one, and I'm going to get to that last, was the council to the Cubs out of nowhere. I didn't mm-hmm. see that coming. But you got Murphy to Milwaukee. Uh, Melvin, that didn't bother me. He goes down the street to San Francisco. He He's reunited with Farhan. Uh, Mendoza to the Mets, my brother's bench coach in, in New York. That that wasn't huge, a huge surprise. Vote to Cleveland. Wash goes to the Angels, you know, from the Braves. He's been he's been working with those infielders for years with the with the Braves. A spot out of Houston. And San Diego's still about to announce. It's I, I hear it's gonna be either Schilt or Nevin. Um Council to the Cubs. I saw that happen. <laughs> and my first reaction as a player is that's a bad look. How it went down. They've got a current manager in place, and all of a sudden he gets a phone call after council agrees to the deal. You as an ex-player, what do you think when that, that happens? I've got I've got a two-fold answer, but my first reaction yeah. was that's a bad look. What was yours? Uh, I mean, it's when I seen it, I was I was golfing and it, uh, the alert came and I just said, "Uh oh, <laughs> because I mean, he's that's his that's his personal rival. Like I'm from San Diego. My personal rival is the Dodgers. Like I don't like him. That's this embedded in the San Diego kid. He's a Milwaukee kid. His personal rival is the Cubs. Like bl- and that's blood. And then he goes and joined the forces. So, but then, but then when you look at the contract, you're like, well, 
I mean, that's two and a half a year over what they're talking about. That's twelve and a half million more over. I mean, it's it, I, he set he's setting precedents. You know, it, you want right. to talk about that's, it's a business. That was my second point. He, yeah, he set precedent. He's making eight million. That's that's you're talking to college football coaches now. Like he set precedents. He's making more than like more than the league average right now. And again, councils of it's fantastic manager. I mean, and he's going to have right now. He's going to go. He went from uh, a really good team, really good organization, mid market, to one of the best markets in the game with you know incredible spending. So I'm excited to see what happens there. I'm excited. It's like you know, it's like I like to see what people have when out when they don't have resources. And then I like to see him when they do have the resources. Now you're going to see what council has when he has every resource to his, to his name. You know, if the Cubs want somebody, they have the resources and the money to get it. The Brewers doesn't, don't always have the resources and the money to get, to get it. Same with the Orioles. They don't always have the resources and the money to get guys opposed to the Yankees who just say, you know what, do it. The Mets just do it. You know what I mean? So I, it's exciting to see what he's going to be able to do with, with, uh, with the big, with the big pocketbook. I agree with you. It does set a precedent, and and I think managers in years to come are going to have counsel. This is a step him to thank. The guy I was thinking about, and the reason I say it's a bad look, is David Ross is sitting there with – he's the manager of the team. He's getting ready. You know, he's probably preparing for next year, and all of a sudden it's like he got hit by a truck. You know, that's the yeah. only thing from a looks, from an optics standpoint. I sit there and I go, oh, wow. You know? Yeah, I mean, if one you thing, knew you one, wanted him, you fire him. Right. One thing, if he's let go early, now I, I, I completely get it. You have him, you give him the complete opportunity to seek all the open positions. I get that. But just get hit like a truck and all of a sudden, it's almost like you find out online that that you're, that that council just got the biggest deal of all time. And wait a minute, I was the manager and, and now I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. It's like a, it's me. like a tweeted breakup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Rossi's such a good dude, too. I mean, he's such a baseball dude, such a baseball nut, had a great staff. Um, they fell a little bit short this year, and I think that's maybe they wanted to go with um, with a more experienced manager, you know what I mean? Because obviously council's been managing, yeah. uh, you know, since 2015. But, hell, Ross has been managing since he came in the league as a catcher. So, you know what I mean? It's tit for tat when it comes to that because Rossi's been a manager ever since he's been in the major league. So, uh that that's yeah that that right there it, when you I, I would like to know how all that really went down unfortunately that that, that sucks especially for rossi um and hopefully he gets another i mean hopefully he's somewhere again because he's so good for baseball and obviously you can see i mean the, the easy braves because he lives in that in that uh in that area and they just unloaded all their staff with ron washington going so um, he has to be in the game to me and maybe take a year off just to, you know, cause that, that was a ton of bricks that hit him. So maybe get some ice and, and, uh, and, and rest a little bit, but he needs to be get back in the game because get he's, he's good for the game. <laughs> I get some ice. He needs to get in the cryo machine. Um, <laughs> Z pack. Dusty and Tito. Yeah. Yeah. Dusty and Tito, Dusty retiring. What an unbelievable career. Unbelievable guy. Uh, Tito Francona as well, walking away. Uh, your thoughts? First off, two Hall of Famers. And um, on my podcast, the Adam Jones podcast, I had Josh Waywich, the Hall of Fame president, on a couple of weeks ago. And I asked him, does – when a manager and guys like this re- retire, you know, Dusty 75, 74 and um, uh, Tito, I don't know his exact age, but he's not young. 
Uh, is there a precedence to get those guys into the Hall of Fame earlier so that they get to actually enjoy it? with their lives. You know, you're 74, you're not living to 150. You don't, you don't get like the guys who get into Hall of Fame are normally 43, 45 years old, and then they get to enjoy it for the next 30, 40 years of their lives. Is there a precedence to get these guys into the Hall of Fame so that we can celebrate them as they should be celebrated as a Hall of Famer, that their families can go to them and celebrate their plaque together? And I said the same thing about, uh, about Mr. Bochy. Um, you know, he just came back and just won the World Series after a couple year hiatus. If he was to retire, I doubt it because he probably would have already said it. Um, if he was to retire, is there a precedence to get these guys into the Hall of Fame early so that we can we can appreciate them and show our love, our gratitude, uh, the appreciation and, and, and everything they've meant to baseball? I mean, Dusty Baker, 43 years in baseball, uh, if not more. I mean, 48 years, I think. And then Tito, the same, a lifer. Um, so I think if, if there was a way to get them in the Hall of Fame earlier so that we can celebrate them as baseball fans, as baseball people, I think that would be terrific because they're some of the – not just best – you know, obviously uh, Dusty was one of the best players. They're some of the best managers and best minds to ever – leaders to ever, you know, don uniforms. So I think as uh, baseball fans, we need to celebrate them and put them in the Hall of Fame sooner than later would be, uh, would be something I would, I would definitely vouch for. When you started in the big leagues, uh, 2006 and, and, and it was a continuation of my generation. It was the end of my career. Um, but we were always judged on three things, unless you were a big base stealer is basically what you hit, how many homers you hit mm-hmm. and how many did you drive in? And then if you were a speedster at top of the lineup, how many runs did you score? But the, the basic was how many, how, what'd you hit? How many homers you hit? How many ribbies you drive in? That was what paid you. Uh, by the end of your career, it was more op- what's your OPS. The best hitter always hit third, always hit fourth. Now, all of a sudden, the best hitter hits second. It's a different, if it's a different era, different generation, and I'm fine with that. You know, I'm asked about it all the time, and I say, you know, that was my time, and that's what we did. I, I don't just, Brett Boone doesn't have anything to do with the 2023 and how these players act, how they behave, what they do. Uh, what's what what they're graded on how they get paid that's their job um you played in both eras that's a unique thing you're right on the you know Mm -hmm. i had albert pujols on recently he played in both eras he gave me his takes a lot of errors what what do you think about that adam jones take on the analytics i i'm always for i was always as a player give me as much info as possible until as knowledge is power i was all for that but the way you see the game going what is your take on when you came into the game when you left the game well first off you'll never tell me that a base hit is useless i don't give a damn what you say you'll tell you can never tell me that a single is useless because it but it lowers your slugging percentage a single is a hit one of the hardest things to ever do in sports in all of sports hit a baseball hockey puck is hard and a golf ball is hard Baseball is harder, in my opinion. Um, so you'll never, I'll, I'll never agree with them when they say, "Oh, base hit—that's just a measly single." What you mean? You know how hard it is to get it through these Gold Glove infielders, outfielders to get a ball to drop. Um, but me, you know, I am—I—I I, I grew up with the old school mentality of, you know, if you—if you get base hits, you get on base, you score runs. That's how you win the game. Uh, now, obviously, they're graded differently. It seems like it's a little bit more individualized, like. Although it's a team game, it's individualized. Like, oh, I have to have – I got to do this 
for myself, for the team, as opposed to just, I got to do this for the team. Like me, I always played selfless. I didn't care. I didn't care where I hit in the lineup. If it was, if I was hitting fourth and it was a man on second base with no outs, my intent, first off, is to get him in. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm in the RBI position, but at the worst case, I have to get this man over with. In today's, today's world is now nah, just try and get him in three times. No, I'm going to try and, if I'm going to try and drive a ball to center field, to right center field, to right field. And I'm a, at worst case, this guy is getting over to third base. And when I see that my number five hole, whoever's hitting, he better go up to his, 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 uh, his at bat looking at me as I come off the field saying, okay, and I'm going to be looking back at him say, hey, get, get your money right now. Get your, get your meat. So the game has changed in that, in that regard. It's just, it seems like it's more individualized. Like, oh, no bunting. There's no bunting. You see that they, they, with the rules they did for the, uh, extra, for the extra innings, the guy on second base, you've seen bunting, atrocious. When was the last time you've seen a hit and run? Um, I know velocity's up, but that tells me that the hitters aren't as good of contact guys because there's no hit and runs. And again, don't waste of strike, no waste of outs. The name of the game is to win. And if I can get this guy over, right. if I can sacrifice this guy over with two out, less than two outs, man on third base, less than two outs, that is the situation that we all dream for in baseball. Man on third base, less than two outs, put the ball in play. Just put it in play. Oh, my goodness. Hard. I just put watched this postseason. <laughs> this postseason, how many times you see it not get done? I'm pulling my hair out at home. Yeah. It's the intent. You know, I, I, I honestly, you know, obviously we know that it's hard to get a base hit in the major sure. league. When you're facing these studs, pitchers who are putting the ball in great locations, we know, it's, we know the difficulty of it. We understand it. The intent needs to be there. If you're swinging wildly three swings, we know your intent's not there. If you're fouling balls off trying to move the ball, we know your intent's there. Even if you pop, say you pop up to the second baseman or something like that, if your intent was there, I don't think anybody's getting mad. Now you pop up to the left fielder or something like that, somebody's going to look at you like, that was selfish. And me, I always told myself, play the game to win, no matter whatever, because if we're winning and we're playing winning baseball, I think that might may, may be me by me being on the field every single day, I'm probably going to be involved in some success. So I played selfless, not caring about if I got this one right then and there because I knew my time was going to come. And, you know, I think with the analytics side, it's like, no, be selfish for yourself. Be selfish right now. And it's like, nah, the name of the game is to win. And, you know, I think everybody's going to point to that Blake Snell, Cy Young, uh, this year. Congratulations. I mean, dominant year. But the Blake Snell, the game six in the World Series and in, in the COVID year. Guys shoving six innings, 74, 72, 74 pitches, and you bring him out because he's going to the third lineup again. Huh? What? And, and you know what? And here's another thing to that. I was just in Arizona, and every single day of the World Series for game three, game three, four, and five, they kept showing the uh, game six of the World Series in 21 or 01 when Randy Johnson threw a complete game three hitter. What does he do the next day? He closes the game. Yep. These guys used openers in the World Series this year in the playoffs. Like this, like I, I don't care. That that to me, like that when I seen that, I was just like, I don't know, I don't, I don't like what, I, I I don't know. And I was, you know what, I was talking with Joe Torre in the fifth inning of that game, of Game Four, and I said, Would you ever have an opener in a World Series? Analytics or not analytics, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going on in the Diamondbacks clubhouse. You know, they're a very analytical team, and hell, it got them to the World Series. Um, and he said, hell no. He said, I've had fights with guys that wanted the ball 
that on one day rest because they want the ball. And I'm like, that's how the game should be. And that's how it always be. But you've seen it. Innings limits. When you were coming up, was there something called innings limit? No? Nothing. I played Nothing. I had Jim Palmer as my, my my broadcast guy, and he would tell me at 19 years old, he's he out there through 180 innings and then played in Puerto Rico through another 80. Then, you know, like innings limit? Like Strasburg had innings limit. And then, you know, like it the game has changed. I know it's for the longevity and the better will of the player, but I go back to the old school workouts. And those guys didn't get hurt. You don't see nobody running poles no more. You see guys in there roaming Greco lifting, though. See, it's the, the, it's the changing. We're not bodybuilders. We're baseball. We need to be elastic. We don't need to be muscle-bound dudes. We need to be elastic players. And I think it's just it, the game's just changed that way. It's changed for the better. Obviously, we've got tremendous athletes. Um, I just think that if, if it got back to me where it's just not as much analytic and more that eye test, just bring it back a little, little bit more. I think we'll be in, in a better place. But I think baseball is in a, in, in a fantastic place. It, the revenue is there. The fan up this year. The fans are up this year. Um, I just think that it's in a good place. I agree with you. I think I, I, I watch it in, in a lot of things I, I like about it, some things I, I don't like, but it's still baseball. It's still been my whole True. life, and it's been entertaining. You know, I never thought I'd – sit there and say yeah 12 teams should make it to the postseason because i i was always a guy of listen that 162 means something you got to grind it out the best of the best make it at the end and now you're just handing it out well now that i see that there's 12 teams there's a lot more entertaining a lot more cities are are engaged a lot longer a lot more parts of the country have a chance to make it to the postseason the end of the day that makes makes it good for the game that i love because you know most cities 20 years ago in August, they're, they're already moving on to football. Now they got a pennant race in their city because they changed it to the 12 teams getting to the postseason. So a lot of things uh, I think are good. I think are good that I like. And, and I never thought I'd say that the rule changes this year. I'm thinking, no, we don't have a clock. That's what we pride ourselves on not having a clock. Oh, what do you, what do you mean? You can only throw over twice. These, these elite base stealers, they're going to take advantage of that. But what did people start doing? They started stealing bases again. That was what it was for, to encourage people mm -hmm. to steal bases. I like that. And this this clock, after a while, I'm like, the clock really isn't a problem. And by the way, I can watch a game in two hours and 50 <laughs> minutes. This is kind of cool. So as much as we are, you know, we get set in our ways the older we get, as long as we keep an open mind, uh, you know, I think we'll be pleasantly surprised sometimes. No, sometimes we won't, but sometimes we will. For me, rule changes this year, I was pleasantly surprised. Adam Jones. Same. Um, you know, we we all looked at it like a clock. Like, what? And then we just started to be like, hey, man, you better hurry up. That clock is ticking because we're on the clock like we, we want to speed the game up. And you know what? I think the most important thing about this, about the time, uh, the time difference with the games is that fans actually stayed and watched the ninth inning more than they have in the previous 20-something years. Fans stayed because it, it's not 10.08 when it's top eight, top nine, bottom eight. It's not, you know, you don't see the 10 o'clock creep up there. It's 9.30, bottom nine. And you're like, well, dang. You go to the concession stands, you're going to miss a whole inning if you go to the concession stands, top and bottom now. You're going to miss it all because of time. And I, I think for the game of baseball, um, for the health of players also, you know, you're not out there for, 
you know, eight hours a, a game. I'd like the extra inning rule. Um, I would have switched the extra inning rule. I would have given the I would have given the team one chance in the tenth inning, like because you're still riding with momentum. I'd give you one chance in the eleventh. All right, let's get the runners so that we can speed it up. Um, and now they're trying to go from eight from twenty seconds to eighteen seconds when a man on base. I don't think that'll be a problem. Guys have guys were fantastic with it this year, but you're getting more stolen bases. You're, I mean, this was the most stolen bases in, I think in like 50 years. Like people were running nonstop. Acuna 40, 70. Uh, you, you had multiple guys with 40 stolen bases this year. You had, I think, the, the record for 2020 guys and 30, 30 guys. The shift, it helped more batted balls in play. Obviously the strikeouts are still, are still high. I mean, you got every other guy throwing 102 with movement. So course strikeouts are going to be high but i think the game is the game is this year i think as the 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 fan who said i'm not gonna watch it no more it's gotten too political i think that fan is back saying game's kind of interesting it's kind of moving along kind of nice and when you have cincinnati being good miami being good baltimore being good yeah diamond diamondbacks being good like like you open up like i said when you got the dip the markets that weren't used to being good being good and taken away from the bigger ones like people their fan bases are starting to open their eyes and you know you cincinnati guy i mean you played there you was a san diego boy but you're cincinnati guy um <laughs> to see cincinnati you know to see their fans be excited for ellie de la cruz and they've you know and steer and the prospects and the talent that they have going for the future like that's what baseball is about it's not just always la new york chicago and boston it's great when other teams are able to have success isn't it awesome too? Because you hear, you know, when LA or or the Dodgers who've had a huge run, the Houston Astros have had a six or seven year dominant run in their division. Uh, you're always talking about the Yankees and the Red Sox, who usually you see in the postseason. And after a while, people say, "Oh, it's always the same teams." Then fast forward this year, we get the Texas Rangers. And the Arizona Diamondbacks out of nowhere, and you got people going, "Oh, nobody's going to watch that." Well, what do you want? Right. Do you want parity, or do you want the same teams? I love the same teams. I love the fact that on a national level, uh, we got to see an Arizona Diamondbacks team. I thought that was really interesting. The Texas Rangers—they haven't been uh, in the postseason, let alone going to the World Series in a long time. We got to see that offense on display. How dominant it is. Uh, I think it's great for the game. I, I really do. Um, Same. I mean, Cattell Marte. He's been he's been balling. He's in great the player. Last great six player. Years. Yeah. No one's got to see him. He plays for the Diamondbacks. They get no. They get exactly. no primetime games. We're all thinking that we're going to get Texas, or we're all thinking Houston and Philly. I think that was the consensus. Without a doubt, championship series. And then you got you got two teams that you're like ah. And I've seen so many. Oh, I'm not watching World Series. World Series is this. What do you mean you're not going to watch the World Series? It's the World Series. I, I thought Arizona was going to win. Are you kidding me? Right. I me thought too. Arizona was going to win. I thought there's no way you could pick Arizona to be here. They might as well win it. And yeah, I thought they were going to win as well. it. Ended up, and it ended up going the other way. Um, Want to talk a little bit, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you get out of here, about how you finished your career. Go over to mm-hmm. Japan. You play for the Oryx Buffaloes. I've always been fascinated with this, Adam. In 2001, uh, that Mariner team I was on, we were gonna we were supposed to open the season in Japan. Uh, I think in the 02 season, 9/11 had hit. 
And we had it all planned out to open the season in Japan. And I was kind of excited. That's when Ichiro had just come over. So it was Ichiro mania. And I said, I want to see what it's like when we go to Japan and how they, they had kind of taken the Mariners as their team just because Ichiro was on our team. But I was excited. Like it's going to be, because you know, as a player, it's tough when you got to open the season and it starts counting and it's on the back of your bubblegum card to take a 20 hour flight. But for me, I was looking forward to to going to Japan. I never got to go because it got canceled from security reasons. So we never mm-hmm. ended up going over there. You got to experience that. Just wrap it up for me in a nutshell, what those two years were like for you. Uh, the quality of baseball, obviously, we're seeing more and more now. Great Japanese players coming over. Probably the best player in the game right now. And Shoei Otani is from Japan and mm-hmm. that league. Um just tell me about the culture changes, what it was like for you going from the big leagues to playing in Japan, the similarities, the differences, things you like, things you didn't like. Well, first of all, I say it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I'll start there. Like unbelievable experience, being able to take my family, live in a foreign country, uh, get paid to do it, get paid to play baseball in a foreign country. It was, I mean, we're talking about it like, a dream come true was phenomenal. Um, my experience is what I say is, you know, it, it was great because I went from a spoiled major leaguer. We're major leaguers. We're spoiled. Let's be honest with ourselves. You, you throw your clothes, you throw it, you chuck it at the wall. It'll fall down. Somebody will pick it up, wash it, and it'll be right back in your locker in 30 minutes. Um, over there in Japan, I had to do it all myself again. They'd wash the clothes, but I had to make sure it was on my loop or they'd go get it. On there. the loop. I had to, on the <laughs> loop. I had, to, I had to make sure that I packed my bag. It took me back. It took me back to my AAA days of humbling. Of uh, you know, nobody, everybody's not everybody's gonna pack your bag. Nobody, nobody's gonna wait on your um, beck and call. And it was great, you know, in, in that regards because it's like, look, I was spoiled major league for fourteen years. Like I can, I can pack my own bag. I think I, can, I think I can pack my own bag. But what it helped me do is pack a lot lighter. I don't need to pack all that extra stuff. Then three, four pairs of cleats and all the road cleats, the alternates. Mm-mm. It was one pair of cleat and one pair of turf. That was it. I wasn't packing it uh, too much. But and also with me, it was I went over there as, as at 34, 35. So my body was my body was cashing out. And so what I was unable to me, I was unable to perform the way I wanted to. So I went into the manager's office and, and just told him and said, I can't I can't perform the way that I used to perform. Unfortunately, my body just told me no. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we formulated a plan. And the ownership was fantastic. I was DH and I pinch hit. But in between all that, I was like the best teammate ever. I was a hitting coach with guys. I would go help out any sort of guys that I could. Um, Yoshida was my teammate. He's with Boston. He's their left fielder. My first day seeing him, I called my friends back in the States and said, uh, I got a guy right now that's the Japanese Juan Soto. And the guy can hit. Yamamoto, who's going to post here shortly, he was my teammate. he, He told me so much he wanted to go to America. And what I would do is I would talk to him about American hitters. I would be like, you need to pitch these guys how you would pitch an American hitter because you see how you can just throw three fastballs to the number eight, seven, eight, nine hitters in Japan. You do that in America, it's going to be three nothing because these guys will bridge you. So it just, I became, it, it switched my roles of just like the big brother to these guys. Um, there was a couple foreign guys that were over there that were just into making some money. There's the first time making, you know, 700, 800,000, a million dollars. And, you know, me having a, having a successful career, I'm able to talk to them and be like, hey, 
Okay, get yourself a nice car. Where you look at your house? Okay, let's not spend too much. So it's like the roles just changed. You know what I mean? When I was a young pup coming up, I had guys like you, Edgar, Randy, Wynn, teaching me the ropes of the game, life of the game. And like when I went over there, it was I was able to like put my hair down, take a deep breath, and uh, be a big brother and just give back a lot of information. And you know, I, I would always say that uh, the Japanese culture—they are some hardworking. SOBs, man, they are, they work hard. They play hard. They play smart. I've never seen defense better. Um, like they play, they play defense unbelievable. Guy yeah, with 300 letters on the name, numbers on his back is some of the best defenders you'll ever see. They look like you out there just because the attention to detail, the focus. And, you know, I relished every moment that I had out there. I had the OG senpai interpreter. And he would just explain to me everything. I'd ask him about culture. Guy, his first guy was Don Money. Um, and I just, I would ask him so many different questions about the court, the culture, about Ichiro, about Hideo Nomo, who he had. And, yeah. you know, I just fully, I fully immersed myself in the culture. I didn't go over there saying, I'm an entitled major leaguer. You all should do this for me. I went over there saying, I'm a Japanese player now. And uh, how can I help my team win? That's cool. That's cool. It, and, you know, it brings me back when you're talking about Booney. I just couldn't do it like I used to do it. My body was checking out. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Because I remember I was I was 32 or 33. I was coming off a big year, and I remember talking to Robbie Alomar. Robbie Alomar was kind of – he was probably four or five years my senior, and I grew up watching him, and Robbie was that guy, you know, that all us second base was chasing. He was kind of the North Star. And Robbie had a real bad year. And I and I'm coming off a big year. And I said, Robbie, you know, I'm kind of used to Robbie Alomar. If anybody knows Robbie Alomar, he pretty much had a good year every year. Mm-hmm. And I said, Robbie, what's wrong? He's like, Booney, <clears throat> it's like I turned 35 and I got old. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, not me. I don't get old like that, you know. And uh, it was weird, Adam. I got to 35 years old and I was old. And I, and I didn't know what to do because when we're kids running around shagging, you know, we're the first one in the cage and we're always the young guy. And you always got that elder in the in the cage. Like, how can you just swing that hard your first your first swing in BP? And I go, isn't that what everybody does? And then you get to that age and you're that guy. And I remember mm-hmm. it's like I couldn't I had a tough time playing a day game after a night game. And it's like I used to make fun. of I used to tease Barry Larkin when he was getting older. Like, come on, Lark, how many ice bags? Can he? He's like, one day, Booney, you'll see. And we all get there, you know, and, yeah. and it, it, it's just a part of life and a part of the game. The fact that you took on that role as, hey, all right, now I can't do what I can do physically. I can help a little bit, but maybe my role is, is, is to really p- not parent, but parent these kids, teach them what I learned, what to do, what not to do. I think that's really cool. Um, you're living in Spain now. Tell the audience, how did that come about? And, and how often do you come out? I heard you got a piece of land, uh, over in Rancho Santa Fe here in San Diego, but yeah, tell, tell the audience, how, how does one become a member of the, 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 the Spain community? So I mean, it's 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 a it's a good and bad, good and sad story about about why I mean how we came to Spain. So you know, I'm in Japan, and uh, unfortunately, my mom passed um, in September of 21 while we we're in Japan. So I come back to come back to Arizona, and in 19, I bought we bought a house in Arizona, bought it cl- closed on it in August, 
uh, signed the contract in December to go to Japan. So this house was pretty new. Um, but I get back to Arizona. I would go back to Arizona for the funeral and then go back to Japan, finish the season. And then, you know, we fly back and then we get back to Arizona. And it's like, it just, someone was just weird for me. It's like, it was off. Like, you know, I'm used to like, I can go see this lady. You know, I, I, I can just go here and I, it was unavailable to me. I couldn't call my mom. I couldn't text my mom. So I'm like, I can't be here in Arizona if I can't do that. Like that's, you know, I'd rather go live somewhere else if I can't talk to my mom. So um, we were, we closed on the property in, in, in Rancho Santa Fe that year about March. And we we're like, well, this can be our uh, retirement home and, you know, give us a couple of years to start building it. And, you know, let's go a couple of years. Let's go live somewhere. Let's go live somewhere else. So it was Paris, Rome and Barcelona. And we're just looking at ourselves like, hmm, yeah, no one speaks French and Italian in America unless you're in Philly or some small pocket somewhere for, for French. So we're like, Spanish is obviously the right choice. And then we just like, you know, Barcelona. We just started looking at it. We went there previously. Uh, we went there actually on a spring break of 2021 or 20, yeah, 22. And we were just like, this city's amazing. It was, it was great. And we said, let's, let's stack up here for a couple of years. And, go, and we're still here. Uh, kids are in school here. The, the travel, my wife has a travel company, Access Level uh, Luxury Travel, and Barcelona gets to every single major city over here in like an hour and a half. And, you know, Utley's in, in London right now. Um, there's other guys that are living abroad too. And it's just something that by going to Japan, it's just like, you know what, we can go anywhere in this world. You know, all we need is each other. Um, and, you know, I think the experiences for our kids are, are going to be uh, amazing. They can complain all they want now. We want this. We want America. We want this. But when they get older, they're going to realize that, you know, our parents really tried to give us every opportunity to be, to see something different, to be different, to see the world, to see a different culture, eat different foods. Like our kids, they eat different, they eat all kinds of foods because we showed them to them early. They're not afraid of sushi. I don't know many seven and nine year olds that want to eat raw tuna. My kids will throw it down like no other. So like just giving my kids these experiences, um, and you know what? Spending this damn money that baseball is affording us. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing is you can't <laughs> die. You can't die with it, man. Have some fun with it. Enjoy it. Go stay at the Four Seasons. Have a pina colada. Eat a, eat a Nusserat expensive steak and just enjoy it because, you know, we killed ourselves for, for Major League Baseball. And you know what? Enjoy it. It's easy to sit in our, in our big old houses and just you know, stay there and do that. Why not go out and 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 live a and live a, a novice life? Go out and live something different, you know, just something completely different. It's cool here in Barcelona. There's not one person out here. I can walk with my jersey. Not one person out here that'd be like Adam Jones. Not one. So it's fantastic. Very cool, man. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun catching up. Great career. Uh living the dream in Spain and maybe one day come back to Rancho Santa Fe, check Adam out. He's got his own podcast, the Adam Jones podcast. Uh, tell the listeners where they can listen, where, uh, what days, um, Adam Jones podcast. We drop every Thursday and, uh, you know, I've had some great guests. Our next guest next week will be the governor of Maryland. Um, it's going to be a holiday episode going into Thanksgiving be a family field episode and what we're all thankful for. But um, I've had some great guests from Griffey to, uh, to 60 minute correspondence. So Booney, I got to get, we got to reciprocate. I got to get you on mine, man. You were one of my favorite guys ever. I still tell uh, people unbelievable stories about how you helped me be a professional. And uh, you know, you, you were, you were tough as nails back then and that's how you had to be. And uh, you know, it was a business and I learned that early that, if you nice guys, 
finish last in this game. You got to be aggressive. You got to be assertive. <laughs> and you taught me. You taught me that early. Hey, you want it, kid? Hey, give me the damn ball. <laughs> yep, give it the damn ball. All right, Adam Jones. I appreciate it, man. This is a lot of fun. For those of you listening to the Boom Podcast or tuning in on YouTube, I appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>